we're not actually coming at this from a free speech or an anti-censorship perspective. However, for encrypted stuff, the whole point is for it to be private and safe. So if you have gone and added in any kind of mechanism that undermines that privacy, it will be used by the bad guys in order to break the mechanisms of, of security that protect that data. That could be catastrophic. Welcome to the IEA podcast. My name is Matthew Lesh, and I'm the Director of Public Policy Communications here at the IEA. Each week, this podcast asks a tantalizing policy question to a top political and economic thinker. Today's question, does encryption matter? The online safety world has come under stringent criticism in recent weeks in relation to concerns about the impact of encryption and user privacy. The government claims Ofcom requires certain new powers to tackle issues like terrorism and child exploitation material. But major messaging services like WhatsApp and Signal have suggested they will not be able to weaken the security of their products and they could even leave the UK market. To discuss this uh, very fascinating and important but technical topic, I'm very excited to be joined by Matthew Hodkinson. He's the CEO and founder of Element.io. They're a British startup that provides secure communications and collaboration. Uh, I think let's start with just some kind of context about your company. What is your service? What is Element.io? Um, what, what kind of service does it, does it provide to people? Well, thanks, Matthew, for the opportunity to come on the podcast and talk about encryption. So Element is a British startup um, headquartered in Chiswick, tech capital of the world. And um, uh, we provide secure communication systems so that people can run their own um, communication infrastructure. So this in practice means that we provide an app that looks and smells quite a lot like Signal or WhatsApp or even Teams or Slack. Um, but you can run it on your own terms, in your own environment. Um, so, for instance, it's very popular with governments. All of France uses um, Element or a version of it called CHAP as their public sector communication tool because they can run it in their own data centers in their own country on their own terms rather than being operationally dependent on a system run out of Silicon Valley or a big tech company like Microsoft or Google or Facebook. So to give an example of it, where people say that, you know, government ministers should be communicating perhaps a bit less with WhatsApp, um, you know, the, the service you provide is, is effectively an alternative to WhatsApp that could be kind of wholly controlled um, internally rather than depending on the servers of Google or Meta, you, you can basically take your app, install it on government services, completely run it. I presume you as a company uh, have no oversight of any of the communications that go on that doesn't go through you. It, it is secure. And you also talk a lot about decentralized. What does it mean to say it's decentralized as in the, the, the architecture is decentralized, the, the instance that, what, what does that, what does that mean? Oh, as, as you say, um, the, the whole idea is that people can run it themselves and that we don't have any access um, to it and the service is not centralized on us in the way that, say, Signal is run by a single US nonprofit or, um, I don't know, Skype is run by Microsoft or WhatsApp is run by Facebook. In all of those instances, um, it ends up being a very, very centralized service with a single development team with the power to do strange things potentially to the software and a single operational deployment running through, controlled by a single operations team. Whereas Matrix, which is the underlying protocol that Element builds on that we created and then subsequently set up Element in order to commercialize, um, the point of the Matrix protocol is that, as you say, anybody can run it themselves. Um, however, you can still interoperate between these deployments. 
So in France, I think there are around 67 different deployments now um, spread over the 17 ministries that they have. So ministries typically run multiple ones for different security classification environments, but some of them are private cloud, some of them are public cloud, some are physically on-premise in the basement of your ministry or wherever it might happen to be. And so there is no single point of control or failure. And this is particularly appealing because the centralization you get in a system like WhatsApp or Signal acts as a massive point of vulnerability because if somebody compromises the, the one place where your entire communication network operates, then it's game over. Whereas in a matrix and element world, um, each independent instance is as secure as it chooses to be. And so different countries or departments or organizations can apply what level of paranoia makes sense for their particular use case. For instance, they might not even connect it to the internet. And quite a common use case is for air gaps environments where people are talking at um, higher classifications or say if you're in utilities or manufacturing or if you're vulnerable to cyber attack of some kind um, then matrix and element lets you run it entirely within that sort of um, safe sandbox rather than connected to the great wide internet uh and and therefore also i presume you know unlike whatsapp when it goes down it doesn't go down for everyone it can go down for for one kind of segment rather than uh, so you get better reliability as a result that is an excellent point that I should have made, but thank you for filling it in. Um, so kind of the other key element and what I'm keen to kind of unpack a bit more is this idea of encryption. Um, and there's a general sense that encryption is good, that, that people like communications. We certainly want our banking to be secured. Uh, we certainly want um, uh, government communications to be secured. What, what does encryption actually mean in practice? Uh, what does it say to that, you know, WhatsApp says, for example, that um, they have end-to-end -end encryption? Uh, how, how does how does that operate? Um, and and how I suppose the, the central question is how secure is encryption in the first place, and how important is encryption? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Um, there are two basic kinds of encryption out there. One is called transport layer encryption, and it's what um, HTTPS means. So if you connect to your bank and you don't want somebody on the network to be able to see what you're doing, then if you connect to the bank via HTTPS rather than HTTP, then the traffic is encrypted. So the, an eavesdropper sitting on your Wi-Fi or sitting in the ISP or somewhere isn't going to be able to just harvest all of your bank credentials and details as it goes back and forth. However, the bank obviously has to see what you're asking and doing so it can service your requests. Um, so that is distinct from end-to-end -end encryption, which is specifically for communication services like Matrix and Element or Signal and WhatsApp, where you have an individual talking to another set of individuals, and they obviously go through some kind of server um, infrastructure, but the encryption is such that the server can never see your messages that the only keys needed to decrypt those messages are sitting on the um, devices, on the phone, on the browser, or the laptop, whatever it is, of the people participating in the conversation. It's much, much harder to implement than um, transport layer encryption like HTTPS, because you are deliberately um, designing it so that the server has no idea what's going on. The server is just passing these kind of cryptic envelopes back and forth, hoping that um, uh, they've got sensible contents. 
And particularly in a decentralized network like Matrix, it's a significant challenge to make this work. I believe that Matrix is the first ever global decentralized encrypted communication network with end-to-end -end encryption um, of this um, nature. So um, this is incredibly important because if you don't have end-to-end -end encryption, then suddenly the server can see precisely what is going on and who is talking to who about what. And uh, this is uh, an incredibly sensitive information that particularly in a post-pandemic world, people use these communication tools as a direct substitute for real life. And the most sensitive information imaginable, whether it's business or personal um, or online relationships or anything, is being um, transferred between the participants. And you do not want to have to trust the service provider to not be nosy and see what's going on. But even more importantly, you don't want to trust the provider to be secure because the second that the server or the service provider can see your conversations, it acts as an incredible honeypot to allow bad actors to go and intercept what's going on. Because in Pretty fact- much, Yeah, you don't, you don't want Mark Zuckerberg to be able to read your private communications on WhatsApp and therefore, you know, secure end-to-end -end communications is, is pretty important. But it's not just Zuck, though, is, uh, is the point. It, uh, the thing that is probably more concerning is somebody who hacks into Facebook who isn't Zuck, but really has done it to be a bad actor and to, I don't know, blackmail you by going and grabbing all of your personal conversations or do industrial espionage or, or profile you in order to um, you know, target you more effectively with advertising or propaganda or psychological operation warfare or whatever it might happen to be that you really, really don't want to provide a way for the bad guys um, to be able to access those conversations by accessing the server. And, and on top of that, I'll also make a, the, I think the central point here about encryption as well, which is protecting you from state surveillance. If you're a human rights activist or a, a critic of a government in a, a, a less liberal society, um, you are under constant serious risk of arrest and, and potentially very awful consequences. The, the IEA works with um, partner organizations, um, other uh, liberal think tanks all over the world who in a lot of cases really depend on encrypted communications to be able to um, spread the ideas that, that um, are critical of the state. And it then brings us to where the governments um, and where you've uh, raised a lot of concerns about the UK government's actions when it comes to encryption. Um, you've said the online safety bill in an excellent blog post for, for Elements blog, which we'll link to in the show notes, um, that the online safety bill takes a wrecking ball to the very fabric of encryption uh, by requiring encrypted messaging apps to scan for abusive content within the app. So, so what do you think the government is requiring to do and how does that in practice undermine encryption? I should say the government consistently says, well, we're not actually undermine encryption here. I believe that um, somebody from a, an intelligence agency wrote a paper saying, oh, don't worry about this. It's not actually undermining encryption. Encryption will still be safe. All we want you to do is um, check for child exploitation material potentially on your phone before it's sent and it'll still ultimately be encrypted. Why, why do you think it, that is still a, a wrecking ball to encryption? What is the government doing? Well, it's a, been a very interesting strategy on the online safety bill to um, make the claim that you can add content scanning, which provides a mechanism to look at the unencrypted contents of messages in a way that somehow is compatible with 
encryption securing your messages from being intercepted or scanned. So it is a fundamental contradiction in terms, and it's been very concerning from a technologist perspective to see this false narrative being pushed by the government, because a lot of the decision makers here are not going to be technical enough to realize that it is an entire um, false um, assertion. So the reality um, is that Sure, the data over the network and the data on the server would still be encrypted. But if you've gone and added the ability within the app to go and do arbitrary scanning operations, and to be clear, we think that the um, uh, intention of the online safety bill to improve safety for typical users on the internet and avoid um, children being abused by um, the advertising systems, or for that matter, um, predators on the internet is admirable. And you know, we're not actually coming at this from a free speech or an anti-censorship perspective and uh, element we you know, proactively scan unencrypted content to find bad stuff going on so that we can try to flush it out of the servers that we control. However, for encrypted stuff, the whole point is for it to be private and safe. So if you have gone and added in any kind of mechanism that undermines that privacy, it will be used by the bad guys in order to break the mechanisms of, of security that protect that data. And for the reasons that you mentioned earlier and that we outlined on the importance of encryption, that could be catastrophic. And to just bounce on your previous point about the risk to activists today, Honestly, I think a lot of people say, oh, hang on a sec, if it's just random activists in some terrible country, then why, why, why do we really bother about it? The thing that I think that often gets forgotten is the time aspect, that um, legislation changes and countries change. And it's very hard to predict 10, 20 years from now um, what the political and social environment will be in any country, including our own. And if it turns out that there was a mechanism all along which allows you to go and dig through people's communications and break the encryption that they were previously depending on in order to see what they were doing, if um, you know, we might be doing something now which is completely legal, like challenging the government on the online safety bill 10 years from now in a dystopia, it might be illegal for us to be discussing that. And then suddenly we've incriminated ourselves um, down the road. Obviously, we're recording and publishing this, so it's, um, we're already on the public record, but perhaps my point is that what might not seem like human rights activism today might, in a few years, turn out to be the case. And you cannot predict where things are going. Therefore, you have to have that privacy. I mean, effectively here, you've described what the government is trying to do as the online equivalent of installing a CCTV camera into everyone's bedroom, hooked up to an artificial intelligence classifier, which sends footage back to authorities whenever it thinks it, something illegal is happening. Now, of course, we know these AI classifiers are apparently getting, you know, infinitely better over time, but they're not perfectly accurate. So effectively, the idea is it will scan your client side message, decide whether or not it thinks you've got something illegal in there, the use of that could expand over time because Ofcom will have the power under the bill um, to require the, the companies to use any kind of um, uh, technology that it so chooses, not necessarily that it has to have gone through some kind of assessment to ensure that it, it is privacy securing. Um, the implication here, though, from a lot of companies um, 
and in fact, I think Signal and, and WhatsApp have been quite clear, and, and perhaps even yourself, that it would become very difficult to operate in the UK under this regime. That it, it is, you know, something like WhatsApp. If they have, if they are a global product and you're a global product, you can't just comply with um, this undermining of encryption in the UK and and go along with it. You actually potentially have to pull out of the UK market. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, particularly for us, our entire reason to exist is to provide incredibly secure communication. And we cannot do anything that undermines that security. It would just, um, I know, be like going to a car manufacturer and telling them that they've got to have square wheels on their cars from now on. It's like, well, I'm sorry, but if you're going to fundamentally um, insist on us breaking the entire point of our service, then we have no choice than to stop offering it to UK citizens. Now, in some ways, that's not a disaster, because as we said at the beginning, the point of Element and Matrix is that people can run it themselves. And in fact, relatively few people use services which we ourselves run. Instead, they all go and do it themselves anyway. So it would at least shift the responsibility to citizens to decide whether to use it and take the risk. Um, but from a legal perspective, we would certainly need to block the app from the UK users in the various app stores and possibly block UK IP addresses from connecting to the servers that we run um, and that sort of thing, which is just embarrassing. Like China insisted that we block our app from the app stores because they weren't happy with the level of secure communication that it was providing their um, dissident citizens. And so for the UK to be the second country to force us to block ourselves um, would be pretty embarrassing and a very bad situation to be in. And you've also, of course, talked about, you've talked about how you've got the French government uh, as a client, but also the UK government, at least segments yes. of it, are, are a client as well. Um, so there's a, there's a whole irony there in, in terms of the government's undermining its own ability to communicate. Um, another element you talk about here as well is um, the potential risk from this legislation when it comes to uh, tech monopolies and, and, and digital competition, that, that this will make it harder for kind of smaller startups like yourself to continue operating while it, it could be more manageable by some of the bigger companies. Yeah, very much so. I mean, the current legislation is almost designed to be implemented by huge big tech companies. For instance, it requires an age verification to ensure that um, folks under 18 aren't allowed to use particular services. And the reason for the, the given for why age verification is viable is that, hang on, Facebook already knows how old you are, which is great if you're Facebook and you're already a surveillance company effectively and you've profiled all your users and you know how old they are and who they really are. But surely you shouldn't be building legislation that depends on the existence of someone like Facebook out there, because the burden put on emerging startups like ourselves ends up being crazy. The only companies that could try to comply with the level of um, censorship and age verification, etc., is a large unencrypted thing like Facebook. So it's doubly ironic that, as you say, the UK government depends on element for secure communication and you know, we're probably the highest profile encrypted communication startup in the UK. And not only does the online safety bill just put us at risk as a company, you know, will France and Germany, US, Sweden, many other countries still trust our tech? 
if the UK has goes ahead with the online safety bill and putting in this backdoor to scan content and obligating us potentially to put UK government approved proprietary code from other companies into our product, you know, it, it, it's it really puts the whole show incredibly at risk and makes the UK look amazingly backwards and um, uh, anti freedom, frankly. So uh, on one hand, Rishi Sunak says that he wants to support the UK tech industry. But on the other hand, this would be making it one of the most inhospitable tech environments in the world, because any service that people provide to citizens suddenly now needs to implement a blanket surveillance mechanism, which is effectively outsourcing the police's work to the tech company in order to try to apply whatever rule set Ofcom comes up with in order to protect the users. And no other country um, has anything approaching that, with the possible exception of China and Russia. You have the Yaroslav legislation as well as China's restrictions. So it would make the UK a laughing stock and totally destroy the chances of the startup ecosystem prospering. Well, on that very gloomy note, thank you so much, Matthew Ogfordson, for joining the IA podcast. Matthew's the CEO and founder of Element.io, who are a British startup that provides secure communication and collaboration. If you are enjoying the IA podcast, please do subscribe on your chosen podcast provider or subscribe to our, our YouTube channel where you can get our latest videos and podcasts. Thanks, Matthew.